we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Well, let's take our Bibles and go to the New Testament. We're going to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, and we're going to look at uh, the same passage uh, that we looked at last week in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. For those of you who are not here, I'll do just a, hopefully a brief review and then pick up uh, where we left off. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 and verse 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. Uh, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man, for the man is not the woman, or is not of the woman rather, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought not, or ought the woman rather to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. I'm speaking on the subject, men and women in the church. We began looking at this last week. And what I would encourage you to do if you were not here is to go back and watch the message from last week. But just to help us get back to where we were so we can launch forward, I'll just give a few thoughts in review. I, I did a lot of reading, obviously, in preparation for this message. Uh, and I did so uh, and used uh, some of the trust, trusted sources, at least trusted in my view, uh, as far as commentators uh, who uh, helped me with an understanding of the scripture. I will speak and use the names of people that I don't necessarily agree with in all points, uh, but I will use those uh, who I believe uh, are helpful in these areas. I began uh, with John Phillips, and, and I think he introduces this, this portion 
of Scripture very well. He says, the matters under discussion remain the most controversial and complex in church life. Opinions differ as widely over the interpretation of these half dozen chapters as they did over the original issues centuries ago in the Christian church. He goes on to say, anyone who has a quarrel with the order, that's the order set forth in these verses, especially where men and women meet together on the grounds of a common salvation upon which the apostle insists, have a quarrel not with him, but with the Holy Spirit. You see, we believe the Bible is the word of God. We believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means it is God breathed and it is profitable for us. And so we find that the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And as I mentioned last week, uh, as we considered, especially chapters 8, 9, and 10, he was addressing the subject of liberty, individual liberty, and the questions about those liberties and the abuses that were taking place among the Corinthian believers in the exercise of those liberties. Uh, they were using often their liberty as a, as a cloak to excuse away their sinfulness. And we have those same issues today in uh, the church age in which we live. As we come into chapter 11 through chapter 16, the Apostle Paul is not addressing the individual liberties of the believers and their exercise of those liberties. He is speaking to them about their corporate worship, their gatherings, and the order and the conduct of the church. That's what he's dealing with here. And he's dealing with the roles that men and women have in the public worship of the church. I refer to the Preach the Word commentary that's edited by Kent Hughes in this passage of scripture. This is what is written. Paul is calling the church to evaluate its worship practices, to ensure that all due attention is being drawn to God and no undue attention is being drawn to the members of the church. There is a significant cultural difference between us and the Corinthian church. Some men were wearing head coverings and are growing their hair out in a way that reflected the attire worn by pagans in idolatrous worship. It was an attempt to assimilate idolatrous culture. And that attempt is alive today. There are many who seek uh, to uh, adopt the methods and means of an idolatrous culture and bring those, uh, those methods and means into the context of the worship life of the church. And they do so in their minds, at least this is how they excuse that or, 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 or seek to explain that, is that their, their, their public ministry, their, their worship is more palatable uh, to people who are unchurched. But we have to understand something about our worship. Our worship is not uh, to draw in the unchurched. We certainly don't want to create some barrier to keep them from coming, but our worship is designed to honor the Lord. So we do not get our ideas from our culture. We, we get our methods for worship from God and our desire to please him. 
Now, as we looked at this passage, I gave you three words I want you to keep in mind. This is not the outline, uh, but there are three words that I ask you to keep in mind uh, as we seek the application of these verses. Number one, the first word is order. God has an order, a divine order that he gives to us. The second word is distinction, distinction. There are different roles that men and women play different roles, different responsibilities that they have. God made them uniquely to fulfill those roles and responsibilities. Also, as we think about that word distinction, the church is to be distinct from the world. The church is to be distinct from the world. So we have the word order, we have the word distinction, and then we have the word submission, submission where we as the creatures of God, those who are created in his image, uh, those who not only have been created by him, but as believers, we are redeemed by him, we submit to him. And as we follow his order, as we understand the distinctive roles that God has given us, and as we submit to those roles, we experience the blessings of God. That's true in in the church, that's true in the home, that is true in society. And so may the Lord help us. Now we looked at, 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 uh, the first thing we noted was here in these verses, uh, a word of commendation. That was number one, a word of commendation. We see it here in uh, in, uh, verse number two. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. So we, we understand that the problem in the Corinthian church did not concern doctrine, but it concerned morality. It didn't concern theology, but it concerned the way they lived their lives. And as a church, they were orthodox, but they were not pure. We looked in Revelation chapter two to see an example of this with the church of Ephesus. But Paul began with a word of commendation, and oftentimes that's a good place to start. Let's talk about what's right, now let's address what's wrong. And so secondly, we see a word of correction, a word of correction, and we began looking here in verse number three, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So here in this word of correction, he corrects them first of all in the matter of order, order. And he appeals to God's creation order, what God has designed, and uh, the redemptive order of the Lord. Now, he, he tells us here, if we look at the close of the verse, and we take these things in reverse of how they're given to us in verse number three, the head of Christ is God. Now, we talked last week in depth about the fact that Christ, the Son of God, and God the Father are co equal. Christ is no less God than the Father. But in a matter of function, to fulfill the redemptive work of God, the Son of God yielded himself to the will of the Father. Remember when he was on earth, he said, I do only those things which please the Father. And so the Lord Jesus Christ willingly submitted to the Father. He then is our example. Then we see that the head of the, of, of the man is Christ. Look at the beginning of verse three. The head of every man is Christ. So Christ is our head. He is the one to which we are to submit. And then he says, and the head of the woman is the man. 
So God has created a divine order for us. Uh, a man is to be under the headship of Christ and a woman is to be under the headship of her husband. Now, I want to read from John MacArthur's New Testament commentary, and he speaks concerning those who teach counter to God's word on this passage of scripture. And he says this, some Christian leaders and writers have gone so far as to teach principles that attempt to redefine or even alter biblical truths to accommodate the standards of contemporary thinking in the world. To do that, of course, they have to believe that Paul, Peter, and other scriptural writers added some of their own opinions to God's revealed truth, or that the apostles sometimes taught culturally determined customs rather than divinely revealed standards. So what is he saying? He's saying that those who criticize the writing of Paul here, those who would excuse away uh, their effort to circumvent God's divine order for the public worship life of the church are really in essence saying that Paul and Peter and other New Testament writers are giving us opinions or cultural norms. But we reject that thinking outright. We reject that because we believe the Bible is given by inspiration of God. Now, if we begin uh, to capitulate to the thinking and ideology of the world, and we begin to cherry pick that which we want to hold to from the scripture, we have opened ourselves up to a very, very dangerous situation. So this is a question of authority and order. Are we going to trust our creator and our redeemer to establish the order that he has set forward for us in the church? As I said to you last week, women in the Greek culture lived in the background. And if you read much about the history of the Roman Empire and the influence of the Greek culture, you're going to find that women were viewed primarily as sexual objects. And of course, Corinthian, uh, uh, the city of Corinth was a very wicked city. I, I detailed that for you last week and also at the introduction of this study when we began to look at this letter to the Corinthians. It was a wicked, immoral place. There was a pagan god worshipped there, a great temple, and, and uh, there were uh, literally hundreds and hundreds of temple prostitutes who, could be, uh, who would be on the grounds of that temple area night and day. Travelers were coming through, sailors and, and those traveling land routes. And, and uh, there was a great uh, work, uh, commercial work there, trade and, and commerce. And so there were many who were passing through that city, a very wicked city. Uh, John Phillips made this comment for us, as has often been pointed out, the woman played little or no part in the synagogue. So you also have those Jews who were in the church. And in a synagogue, those Jews who had been saved, in the model of the synagogue, a woman had no role in the synagogue. In fact, he writes, devout Jewish men actually thank God that they were not created as women. Imagine somebody getting up and praying such a prayer. A woman could not even make up the necessary quorum to organize a synagogue. There had to be 10 men, no matter how many women, uh, there could be no synagogue. In Christ, he says, women are emancipated. 
if all of the women in this culture who uh, feel as if they've been abused and their, their, their rights have been trampled on and, and they want to be equal with men. Now, I'm not speaking of all abuses, so understand the context of my comments. If they could understand the liberty that Christ grants them and the role that Christ grants them in his church and be content to follow that and not deceived by the lies of the devil or of this world, they would enjoy the greatest contentment and blessing they could ever know. But when you live in rebellion to God's order, you are going to reap the consequences of that rebellion. And you see them all around you every day. So that brings us to where we left off last week. We see that there was a word of correction concerning the order, but now we see in verse 4 a word of correction concerning the offense. The offense. What had they done that was wrong? Verse 4, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Uh, we know that many of those believers in uh, in, in Corinth were those who were Jews and, and the custom in the Jewish synagogue was to wear a cap called a, a yarmulke. And they would wear that cap as they prayed, as they read the Torah. And here Paul is saying to them, do not cover your head. Phillips writes this, the Holy Spirit by requiring the very opposite practice in the church is evidently striking a blow at the Judaizers who were forever trying to corrupt Christianity into a mere extension of what Paul calls elsewhere the Jews' religion. You see, it's really hard for us in this hour to enter in, as, as, as the challenge I, I presented to you last week, to enter into that culture and to understand the complexities of the issues of the day. And also, you have the Judaizers who were seeking to bring the church under the law and teaching the traditions of the Jews as a part of Christianity. And then you have the people who are trying to get you to blend with the world. So there are a lot of complex issues. And of course, we have those complex issues today. They just have different names and different faces, and the issues are slightly different. So there was an offense. The men were praying with their head covered. Now, in contrast, he says, a woman must display her subordination in the church. Look in verse 5. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Now, we talked about the fact that many of the temple prostitutes in that day, to identify themselves very clearly, very plainly, to all who pass by, they cut their hair off. They cut their hair very, very close. And that was understood in that culture. It's not that way today. But it was understood in that culture that those were women who were prostitutes of a pagan temple. The Apostle Paul is saying you do not want to appear as one of those women. He's speaking here of the public roles of ministry. Every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. 
who is her head. Her head is the man. That is the head he's speaking of. She is dishonoring her authority. By not wearing the veil covering to express her submission, she is saying that I have equal authority in the church to the man. And there are many who remove the veil controversy who are seeking the same thing, to be considered to be equal in authority in the church. I gave you some examples of that last week. And there have been many controversies, uh, especially lately within the Southern Baptist Convention concerning a woman's role in ministry. And I applaud and commend those who have stood faithful to the scripture in this issue. In MacArthur's commentary, MacArthur writes, we know that we know from secular history that various movements of women's liberation and feminism appeared in the Roman Empire during New Testament times. You see, this is not a new issue that we're dealing with today. Women would often take off their veils or their head coverings and cut their hair in order to look like men. Much as in our own day, some women were demanding to be treated exactly like men, and they attacked marriage and the raising of children as unjust restrictions of their rights. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? They asserted their independence by leaving their husbands and homes, refusing to care for their children, living with other men, demanding jobs traditionally held by men, wearing men's clothing and hairdos, and by discarding all signs of femininity. It is likely that some of the believers at Corinth were influenced by those movements and as a sign of protest and independence refused to cover their heads at appropriate times. Now remember the church is in her infant stages. It's in her infant stages. We have the completed revelation of God's word. The church is a new movement. <laughs> there are a lot of complexities and issues that they're dealing with and they do not have the completed revelation. The Apostle Paul is writing the scripture as the Spirit of God is leading. And so you can imagine there were lots of issues and lots of questions arising in the church. This is the one that he chooses here in this portion of scripture to correct. In the Complete Word Study Bible, Spiros Zodiates says this, A woman who had her hair cut short was styled in the same manner as a prostitute or one of low morals. Such were the priestesses at the temple of Aphrodite. If one of these was saved, and we imagine there were probably many of them who were saved, and came into the local congregation of the believers, she was not to speak with her hair short, but to cover her head as a substitute for that shorn hair. So we see uh, the complexity of those issues. So the offense, men were praying with a head covered, dishonoring their head, the Lord Jesus Christ. A man was made in the image of God, as he tells us. The woman, not covering her head, was usurping or taking the place of the man and not submitting to his authority in the church. So there's a correction here, a word of correction. This correction deals then with order. You with me so far? And then it deals with offense. What was offensive? What was wrong? And then there is uh, a note of observation here. 
Paul is giving us an explanation. Look at verse 8. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. We know the creation order that God made Adam. He formed his body from the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. He said, it is not good for man uh, to be alone. I will make an help meet for him. And so he put Adam to sleep, and he opened up Adam's side and took the rib thereof, and he made with that rib a woman. Adam woke up from surgery, and guess what he saw? He saw Eve. That was his wife. God ordained marriage. God brought the man and the wife together. And this is where Paul is, is leading us, back to the order that God established in creation. Now he says in verse 9, Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Adam was here. God said it is not good that a man should be left alone. And so he made the woman for the man. At the same time, the man was made for the woman. <laughs> because when he made the woman, he made her to have an affinity and affection for the man. But nevertheless, in the creation order, God made the woman for the man. Verse 10, for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. That word it speaks of authority. She must submit. So the wearing of the veil, the covering of her head in the public worship of the church was to express her submission. Now, commentators disagree on the exact meaning of this, of this comment concerning the angels. The best explanation that I read, and one that I believe to be probably most likely the truest interpretation of it, is that Satan tempted the woman when she was away from the man. And the woman, the Bible said, was deceived. She was deceived. Now, Adam was not deceived in this temptation. He knew what was happening. But now his wife has taken the fruit, and his heart is moved toward her and thereby he takes the fruit. Look at verse 11. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. In other words, they're made for one another. But all things of God. Now Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. I want you to turn there with me, would you? 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. He writes concerning the order in the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says that he is writing uh, to the church, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. He is writing to speak to them about their conduct, their behavior in the church, how things are to be done in the context of the local New Testament church. In 1 Timothy chapter number 3, he said, But if I tarry long, in verse 15, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So he's laying out for uh, Timothy here and for the, the believers in Ephesus, he's laying out for them uh, the way they were to conduct themselves and behave in the ministry of the church and especially in the corporate worship. Now let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. 
I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair of gold or pearls or costly array. This is a statement concerning the fashion of the day. And he is saying to the woman, you are not to dress in a way to draw attention to yourself or emulate the dress of the world in its infatuation with wealth and style or in its immodest practices. Verse 10, so how are we to dress? That which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Verse 11, now leaving that subject, he speaks concerning uh, the, their, their, their voice in the church, their, their role in the public ministry of the church. Verse 11, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed in Eve. This is that order that I mentioned to you a moment ago. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So here Paul gives the order of the church and what it means for the pulpit ministry of the church. The preaching and teaching of the word of God is not to be done by a woman. It is to be done by a man. This is God's order. This is what God has established. He is the creator. He is the redeemer. He is the head of the church. And we submit to the headship of Christ. So there's the observation. Now, apparently there were women who perhaps were praying and prophesying in the Corinthian church. And if they were to do that, to demonstrate their submission that they were not usurping authority over a man, they were to wear the veil or the covering over their head. And so there's the observation. Now, I like what John MacArthur wrote in his New Testament commentary concerning this application to us because... We, we're not living in a world where, where if a woman has short hair, she's perceived to be uh, an immoral woman. We're not living in a, in, in, in a church uh, setting here in modern-day America where we encourage all the women to wear veils over their head. There are some who do that. I don't have a criticism to offer them, but that is not our practice. So we have to understand there are cultural things that tie into this discussion that are really difficult for us to enter into. That's the practice of interpretation and biblical hermeneutics. To try to, try to put ourselves into that culture of that day and understand all the factors that went into the writing of these particular things. To understand the historical and grammatical context of the passages it is written. So I found this helpful as I read it. It says, in modern cultures where the wearing of a hat or veil does not symbolize subordination, which we would not think that in this culture, right? As they did in Corinth. That practice should not be required of Christians. 
But women's hair and women's dress is to be distinctively feminine and demonstrate her womanly loveliness and submissiveness. There should be no confusion about male and female identities because God has made the sexes distinct physiologically and in roles and relationships. His creative order is that men be masculine, that they be responsible and loving and authoritative. They're not to abuse their authority as many have. By the way, we live in a sinful world. We, we are sinful people. Though we are redeemed, we still deal with our flesh. Is that correct? And so there will be times and instances where we are wrong, where authoritative figures are wrong and overstep their bounds. We must understand that and we need grace to deal with that as it comes to us. But God's order is for a man to be masculine, to be responsible, to be loving, and to be authoritative. And for a woman to be feminine and to be responsible and to be lovingly submissive. So the question is, are we going to follow God's divine order? Are you going to follow that in your home? Are you going to attend a church where that authority and that order is followed? Are you going to practice distinction? As I said last week, 20 years ago, I don't know that we could have ever envisioned where we are today. The transgender parties, you've seen them in the news, I would imagine, or maybe in social media, where children are being taken to gay bars to witness transgender people, as they're called, parading in those bars, and the children are watching them and even participating in that. Who would have ever dreamt that that would be something that would be tolerated by our government, by the authorities in our cities and towns? Who would have ever dreamed such a thing? You see, the roles that God has created us to fulfill and, 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 and the way that we present ourselves and the way that we submit to him in his creative order is imperative for us to practice if we want the blessings of God in our church. It is also imperative for us to practice if we want the blessings of God in our home. It is imperative, it is imperative excuse me, for us to practice if our children are not to be swept away by this deceitful tide of this world. It's become cool, it's become hip, it's become popular to identify, that's the buzzword of the day, as something other than a male or a female, a heterosexual, as God created us to be. It is trendy, it is cool, it is popular, and if you take a stand for that, then you are out of touch. You are some bigot, you are some narrow-minded person. And this world is so muddled today, is it not? It is so confused. You have those who, 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 who demand that women's rights be upheld. And, and, and we do not, as the church, believe that women ought to be oppressed. In fact, we believe that they'll be blessed if they'll follow God's order. A husband is to love his wife and to cherish her. She is to be respected. She is to be loved and admired. She is to be cared for as the weaker vessel. 
She is to be showered with love and adornment. I said to you last week, or I've said this many times, I believe this to be true. 95% of marriage counseling that I do could be solved with this one statement, husbands love your wives. And sir, if you will do that, I found in most of those cases, your wife will follow your leadership. And you need to learn what that means. And you have a great example, by the way. He said, husbands love your wives as, help me now, Christ loved the church. And what did he do? Gave himself for it. Are you willing to give yourself for your wife? Most of us battle selfishness, don't we? We love ourselves more than we love our wives. That's why he says, love your wife as you love yourself. And when we learn to do that, when we learn to love and cherish our wives as, as God has commanded us in his word to do, I believe we'll find that in most cases, our wives will be glad to submit because they can trust in their husband. Now, there's no doubt that women struggle with that. That's why God put it in the Bible. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto who? The Lord. Well, I'm afraid he's going to make a mistake. Well, you're certainly free to, to give him your, your views on it. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we have to trust, right? Who do we trust? We trust the Lord. Now, this word of, of caution comes to us. That's number three, word of caution. He says, judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Is, is that the right thing? Again, setting yourselves in the historical context, what was a woman who was not covered, what was she saying? She's saying, I'm not under anyone's authority. I'm equal in authority to any man. Doth not nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? So here he's speaking about a man who seeks to appear at least with his hair as a woman. Verse 15, but if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. Verse 16, but if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. What is Paul, what is Paul anticipating? He is anticipating that somebody wants to fight over this issue. Do you know anybody like that? I'm an independent Baptist, and uh, I was saved in an independent Baptist church. I was raised in an independent Baptist church, and I thank God that I was saved and raised in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, independent Baptist church. Thank God for it. I have no criticisms to offer. I'm grateful. But I do know that sometimes independent Baptists like to fight. Do you know that? Now, you need to understand, you could name any group you want to name and they all like to fight. Do you know why they're all like that? Because they have flesh and they have pride. You know what the Bible says? Only by pride cometh, you finish it for me, only by pride cometh contention. 
So do not buy into this notion that the only people who like to fuss, excuse me, to fight and fuss, I'm trying to say fight and fuss in one word there. The only people who like to fight and fuss are independent Baptists. That's not true. All of them like to fight and fuss. Because we all have the seeds of the flesh in us, right? So Paul is anticipating this. He's also anticipating that there are going to be some who say, oh, I'm not going to go along with that old-fashioned stuff. Do we find that today in our culture? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what does Paul say? He says, if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. What is he saying? Well, I, I, I appreciate what John Phillips has to say here. He says, but if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom. He said, Paul, it seemed, realized that this teaching would be unpopular. <laughs> Do you think my message would be well received? If I was in a convention hall in a political arena, if I posted this on Facebook, do you think I would get some kickback, some blowback? You're being awfully quiet tonight. If I was interviewed uh, on the nightly news, they don't, Larry King's no longer on television, uh, but let's say I was brought on one of the networks and, and they wanted to talk to me about what I believe about this passage, do you think it would be well received? Absolutely not. I would be written off and dismissed by uh, those in the media. I would be decried. I would be viewed as some bigot and, and uh, some patriarchal. Uh, that term I talked about last week is really being thrown about a lot lately. Out of touch, old man. That's their favorite terminology today. Just some old man. I'm getting there, but I'm not there yet. So don't get me there before I get there, all right? So he says, Paul, it seemed, realized that this teaching would be unpopular. He concludes then with a sharp warning. He says, we're not going to squabble over this. The word, here, uh, the word here for contentious means to love strife. Do you know people who love strife? I mean, they just want to fight about something. They want to argue about something. That's just what they do. That just seems to be their hobby. He's saying, wait a minute, we're not going to do that in the church. By the way, if we're going to guard our church, we're not going to have that here. Amen? We can have questions, we can have discussion, but we're not going to have contention. If we have contention, what are we going to have? We're going to have the devil getting a foothold in our church. So he says, we're not going to allow that. We have no such custom. Paul sensed this same unchristlike spirit would motivate some to pick on his teaching and argue about it. It's a good thing they didn't have Twitter in Paul's day. You know, you know that? <laughs> Paul bluntly declares, we have no such custom. That is, that is, here or anywhere else in the churches, we're not going to quarrel over divinely revealed truth. Let me say that again. We're not going to quarrel over divinely revealed truth. We may not fully comprehend it in our minds, 
We may not get every part of it. We, we may not understand all the intricacies of it. But nonetheless, we are going to submit to God's order, to his authority, and we're going to be obedient to him. And if a woman in that church wanted to be obedient to Christ, if she was asked to pray or to give some word of prophecy, she would have no issue with covering her head. Why? Because in her heart she wants to be right with Jesus. And if she doesn't want to be right, she has no right to get up and lead in any capacity or to be outspoken in any capacity. Now, this abuse will become such a problem, again, that Paul will make it very clear and very evident as the Spirit of God led him. And remember now, this is the church in its infancy in real time. But Paul is going to write what he wrote to Timothy. And he's going to prohibit this and say that no woman can usurp the authority of a man in the church. But until that is cleared up, you can, you can understand there were probably a lot of issues that arose. He said the subject matter he had been discussing was of the highest order. It was not open for debate by those who simply liked to argue for argument's sake. So a word of caution. This is what God has said. We're not going to argue about it. We're going to follow it. Have you arrived at that point in your life? This is what God has said. We're going to obey God. That'd be a good place for all the men in our church to come to. This is what God has said. We're going to obey God. That'd be a good thing to say in your home. Not in some bully way, you know. But in a loving way. A kind way. We're going to honor the Lord. Now, there's going, to be, there's going to be questions arise in the context of your home that are very difficult to understand, and maybe, maybe there aren't clear answers in Scripture, but there are principles that will guide you. So follow God's order. Understand the distinct roles that He has given to men and women. Understand that there should be a difference between the world and the church in distinction as well. And then submit to him. Let's pray together. Let me ask you a question before we pray. Have you come to the point in your life where you have arrived at a firm conviction that God's word is true and it's authoritative? If you haven't, that's where you got to come to, or you are walking in rebellion. And you have removed God from the throne of your life, and you have set yourself up as king. You, you look at the Bible through a lens of your own pride and intellect, and even your own version of morality. And you judge the word of God based on your opinions. That will never work, friends. That will lead to confusion. That will lead to destruction. We have to come to the point where we say, God, you're God. Your word is true. I may not understand every part of it, but I believe it. Are you willing to come to that conclusion tonight? 
Are you willing to follow God's divine order in your home, in your life, and in the church? Do you understand the importance of distinction? And are you willing to submit to it? I think, I think the price, the price tag of rebellion in this matter is far greater than we can imagine. And we're beginning to see it in our society. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. That means we are, we are on the foundation of the truth. That's what we're built upon, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And we are to uphold the truth, to proclaim the truth, to model the truth, to live the truth in a lost and dying world. So may God help us to do that. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.